Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. The number one podcast for learning and talent development professionals. Now here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you are joining me today for another great interview and conversation to help you up your game and improve your capabilities in talent development, which is what we are all about. We are over 400 episodes and going strong here on the Talent Development Think Tank. And today I have for you not only a really special, experienced, and award-winning guest, but a returning guest as well. Christopher McCormick is an experienced talent development and DEI professional who is known for developing talent of the future and empowering teams by leveraging his experience in building HR strategy that puts coaching and developing people and teams at the heart of what they do. Currently, Christopher is the Senior Director of Talent Development and Inclusion at Gilead Sciences, where he defines talent development and inclusion capabilities and frameworks required to support businesses including organizational health, team development, change management, and agile coaching and methodology. He also develops a long-term strategy to prioritize, develop, and embed key capabilities, frameworks, and methodology to support and drive organizational health and achieve cultural aspirations. Prior to Gilead, Christopher has spent over two decades in HR leadership roles for Fortune 100 companies like Blue Shield of California, HP, and Starbucks, and over 15 years with the Bank of America. Christopher has won numerous awards, including being named one of the 10 most influential HR leaders to follow in 2022 by CIO Look Magazine and has been awarded two OnCon Icon Awards for top 50 HR professionals in 2021 and 2022. And Christopher is also a previous guest on this podcast going all the way back to episode nine, which we recorded near the beginning in 2018. That one was titled Ending Performance Reviews and the Future of HR with Christopher McCormick from HP, where he was at the time. That one came out in June of 2018, and that is one of our most popular episodes of all time. So make sure you go back and check that out. Christopher, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Andy. It's great to be here. Great to be with you. Great to have you back. And, you know, I would say that doing that episode that we did back in 2018 and our relationship that has come from there is sort of like one of the success stories and reasons why I did this podcast, because Mm. I reached out to you, you were working at HP at the time. I know you had revamped performance management and a number of other things, which is what we talked about in the interview. You know, we built a friendship and kind of kept in touch through multiple companies and iterations and things we were doing, me going out and starting a business, starting a conference and a membership community, which you've been a member of now for several years, providing value, connecting with other people and, uh, just always looking for ways to help and support each other. And so I just want to say, I appreciate you and the mm-hmm. fact that we've been able to keep in touch and stay friends for the last five years. Yeah. See, yeah, totally. I, I appreciate you as well. And I think it seems like it's been longer than that. I think that, <laughs> I think that pandemic thing we had kind of threw my timing off of, of how I think about time and space. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot, a lot, a lot has happened since then, but amazing that it has been so long. And so I'm excited to get you on. I'm excited to get you on to talk about talent management today and how that has kind of changed over the last few years and how people can really start to rethink talent management as well as something that you speak on often, which is prioritizing potential over performance mm-hmm. to develop talent of the future. I think this is something a lot of people are starting to think of, like, how do we get the right people in programs and maybe think about making our learning programs more inclusive as well. Mm. Before we get there, maybe we can start with 
you know, it's been five years since the last time we did an interview in this show. How have your views on talent management maybe changed or shifted over the last mm-hmm. few years? You know, I think the shift or change or evolution has really been looking at making sure that the talent strategy and the talent management strategy is completely connected to the business strategy and is really not that it wasn't before, but I think, and when I think about talent management, I'm now asking questions about critical roles or roles of the future that we're going to need based on our strategy. And that helps inform then what do we do to build a talent strategy that is inclusive, that is looking at multiple factors. You're you're looking at performance, but you're not only looking at performance, current performance. You're looking at the potential of the future in conjunction with current performance. And that is where I think we start to see a shift or an evolution in how we're looking at people, how we're looking at talent and how we're placing our bets on where we want to invest and develop. Yeah. I appreciate how that's shifted to become even more strategic. And I think that's really important for lots of, you know, everybody that works in talent development, Mm -hmm. talent management to be taking more of a strategic view. I wonder if you can give an example of what that looks like when you say asking questions about critical roles and roles of the future. Are you looking at like, what types of things might be coming? What are what is the business hiring for, and how do we develop towards yeah. that? Or you know, how how yeah. are you addressing that? So I'm gonna I'm gonna put it in a business context first, and then I'll pull through on how I, I think about it from a talent management perspective. But I'll share it in a way that really um, gives you the reason uh, for why I'm at Gilead. <clears throat> so um, you know, being a member of the LGBTQ community and having been in in that since college, when I was in college in the 90s, I'm going to date myself there. (laughs) You know, a lot of times being out and being gay meant that I went to a lot of funerals then because Mm. HIV and AIDS were rampant and we didn't have any real cure for it or any treatment for it that was really effective. And so not to be political, but you know, that president, when it started, didn't say the word until six years into his presidency. So, Mm. you know, there was a lot of dynamics of not getting the right focus, not getting the spotlight, and not really doing the work that needed to be done like we did with COVID. You know, this pandemic, HIV and AIDS were really, didn't even get attention for such a long time. So in the early 90s, again, I was in St. Louis, and I was going to college, and I started volunteering for St. Louis Effort for AIDS, which was a um, the organization that helped get prevention and education out there. And I worked on their hotline once a week, taking phone calls and getting people to the resources that they needed to get tested, to get educated and so forth. And that's where I started to learn about Gilead. Gilead Sciences at the time, they were working on building treatments for HIV and AIDS. And I didn't really know anything about them at the time. Mm. So I was like, I heard the name and I was like, who's GI and what does he lead? Like, what is this Gilead? GI lead, Gilead, um, Gilead, didn't have any kind of context for what it meant. And then, you know, from a personal perspective, in February of 2013, I was actually diagnosed with HIV. And so within six months of being diagnosed with HIV, I was considered undetectable. Hmm. And what that means is that I can't pass it on to anyone else. And it also means that my levels are at a level that it's not even showing in my system. And that's all because I was taking a drug produced by Gilead. So when I got the call, 
from the company, I certainly said, you know, I'm going to take this call and see what this role is about. And um, so I ended up coming to work for Gilead and it's a company that, you know, is here to serve patients, myself being a patient before I was an employee. And, you know, I take a daily pill. I have to take a daily pill every day to make sure that I stay, you know, undetectable. So in December of last year, we actually talked about long-term HIV and AIDS patients who were not being treated or not taking to any of the medications like my, like I did, where they are now, the FDA approved us to do two shots a year. And those folks are actually being treated and are becoming undetectable based on that program. So if you think about the performance of today, where I, I take one pill a day and the potential of the future to be two shots, or one shot you know, in a lifetime, and then you don't have that access. So there's the potential, the current performance, and then the potential. And so we're for long-term acting HIV and AIDS, we are now doing the two shots, but that's not been approved yet for people like myself and others who mm. other, have other regimens that have worked for them. So when I think about that from a business perspective and how it links to talent management, it's not just about what we're, what's performing today. That one pill a day is working just fine for me. It really, but it is also our, you know, patients, myself included, it's a daily reminder that I, you know, I still have that, that I have to, I have HIV and I have to take that mm. day in and day out. So it's just a daily reminder versus if I had one shot a year, or two shots a year, it doesn't become that daily routine of, oh yeah, there's something wrong with me or there's something that I, you know, what I think of it as, you know, in some ways, because it's such a marginalized community for me, I should have known better or like, you know, I had all the education in the world and, you know, I shouldn't have gotten it. So it's kind of that shame. And Mm. so it's like, here's your daily dose of shame. Mm. And so when I think about the business and, and what Gilead's up for and what we're doing now, it really is about asking questions around the future and what are the business priorities of the future? You know, what are we wanting to contribute to the overall business? What's our strategic intent? Where do we want to drive revenue? Where do we want to scale? What does success look like? How confident are we about this strategy? And what will it take to do that work brilliantly? You know, where do we need to build capacity, capability, the culture of the organization? Those are the kind of business requirements that I think we need to be asking when we're then thinking about a talent strategy. Because if we're asking the right questions of the business and the business leaders, then we can start to look at, okay, let's look for what are the critical roles of the future and who do we got in the roles today? You know, what do we need for the future and what do we got today? And then we start to map the talent that we've got today to the the roles that we need for the future. Mm. And that's where we come into looking at not only your performance of what you're doing today, but also the potential of what you could do in the future. So on the potential side, uh, we worked with a company called YSC. It's an Accenture company, and they have a model. It's called the JDI model. It's judgment, drive, and influence. And so based on the current performance, and then based on looking at the person's judgment, the person's drive, and the person's influence, that's the predictors of the future. Combining those two helps us then assess what do we have today and what do we need for the business of tomorrow. And then then that's where you start to look at, okay, where are we going to place our bets? Where are we going to 
double down and invest and develop and grow and look at this certain talent that we think we need or will be able to take on those critical roles of the future. Mm, yeah. So then it becomes, it's it's more than just, oh, what roles are we going to be hiring for for the future? But what do we really need to develop? What types yeah. of people, what skills do we need to develop? What are we going to be needing as our business and this industry evolves? That's right. So you really got to start being able to look forward or try to Right. right. You've got to be able to connect to other parts of the business and find out, hey, what are you seeing? What are you predicting down the line so we can help you develop talent to enable you to achieve your goals? Yeah. And, you know, Gilead's traditionally known for being a virology company. We've been the top leader in HIV and AIDS for years. And we about five years ago have moved into oncology and inflammation. In the virology space, we also have a cure for hepatitis. So there's like lots of education and access around that piece. But as we move into oncology and inflammation, it's also looking at where do we need to invest and grow those capabilities to actually have those therapeutic areas thrive and be you know, viable in the market and actually do the work that we're, we're out to do, which is to create a healthier world for all people. And creating a healthy world for all people means doing really hard things and really difficult things in an ecosystem that you know sometimes pulls for not letting us get there as fast as we'd like. So, mm, yeah, well, thank you for sharing your, your story. I think that, that, you know, always humanizes all of us. Right. And we, we all have so many different challenges we go through, but obviously you are very connected to the mission and what mm. your company is providing. Right. And yeah. it, it makes me think that, Hey, there's a lot of things going on in the world that we can talk about different industries you've worked in, but, you know, Gilead having a bigger mission that you're connected with. And, and of course, you know, I myself went through cancer a few years ago. My wife has been through cancer and, you know, none of us may be here if it wasn't for some of the modern science that we have access to that, that some of these companies are developing. And so you have an opportunity in the work you're doing to really make an impact and change people's lives. Yes, absolutely. And it's, Really, um, I can't think of a better place for me to make the difference that I want to make in my career than where I am right now. Yeah. The um, the reference to Gilead, by the way. So in the Old Testament, there is a, a, a um, Gilead is a tree. And in the tree of Gilead, they, there was a balm and it had medicinal properties. So the, the, the term or the phrase that's used in the Old Testament is there is a balm in Gilead that makes the wounded whole. Hmm. Interesting. I'm curious, you know, you have experience now working in many different industries, banking Mm -hmm. for many years, Starbucks, right? Where you're, Mm -hmm. you're serving people coffee and happiness and their stimulus drug (laughs) choice for the day, right? It's a different drug company, different type of drug company, right? Exactly. You know, working in, in Blue Cross for a little while and now in, in Gilead in, in pharmaceuticals and, being in a mission-driven company like you're in now. What have you noticed over time working in talent management, talent development? That what are some things that are you know, maybe very different or unique to working in this industry you're in now? And what are some things that are just always the same no matter where you go? Hmm. I would say that there are a lot of things that are the same no matter where you go because you're dealing with people and human beings and their complexities and their flaws and their brilliance and all of that encompassing and being inclusive of all of that, right? So- What I think from a talent development perspective that's different and distinct in these industries has been, you know, what type of acumen do you need? Like Mm. in banking, you certainly needed financial and business acumen. Those were way more interesting and and important in that world Mm. versus 
the company I work in today, scientific <laughs> science and engineering and math and all of that critical thinking is much more important than maybe knowing how to run a business so much. I mean, there's people that have certain roles that need to know how we run the business and how do we prioritize that, but we're much more um, swayed towards scientific and, and engineering types of roles. Yeah. And so when you're dealing with that type of talent, there's just a different, what they need is different versus what they may have or come in with and what they have and what they may come in with are different than what I've seen in other places. So I think the the distinction and difference for me is people are people and we need to develop them, but the business and industry helps drive what that strategy is going to be and what we need for the future. When I said critical roles earlier, what are the critical roles of the future? That That's going to be different industry by industry. So then you just, you have to shore up what does the business need and what talent do we have and, and who do we need to invest and develop and yeah. really prioritize. When we did our last interview five years ago and you were at HP, we talked about ending performance reviews and mm -hmm. how a lot of companies were looking at changing that whole process. And and yeah. that's still an ongoing conversation. I feel like it's a question that comes up every week from people in different companies yeah. that are looking to revamp, especially since the pandemic, right? Where so many yeah. more people are working virtually remote. I know you talk a lot about rethinking talent management. So what are your thoughts on that now? How can companies be rethinking the way they approach talent management today, especially after everything we've gone through in the last few years? Yeah, I think it's more about making sure that you're having a healthy dialogue ongoingly. So for, for myself, it's less about the performance review and more about the performance cycle. So I need to be I need to make sure you have what and how goals every year. I need to make sure you know what to focus on, what you need to do, how you need to get it done. I need to be checking in on those goals, you know, at least quarterly and kind of getting that input and feedback. So what I've seen that really works is is having a, a culture of feedback and a, a cycle of feedback that really helps drive the organization. It's less about the rating and the performance review at the end of the year and more about the ongoing conversation to support you and make sure you're getting the resources and the things that you need to be successful. That's what I see is really um, something that hasn't changed. And I think um, also making sure that that feedback culture is is rooted in not only 360 degree feedback, but you also get 180 degree feedback from your direct reports so that you can really have a conversation about how do we develop as a team. And you're also doing work for yourself that's actually expanding your capacity versus just your capability. So you're thinking from a vertical development perspective, how do I, how do I get a bigger glass with more things versus just pouring more skills into the glass and it gets full? It's about how do I expand the glass and, and make that broader and bigger and be able to deal with more complexity. So I think in many ways, it's it's really about an ongoing conversation and a willingness to learn and look. And when I say feedback culture, I'm not just saying like, I come to you and I be like, Andy, I have some feedback for you. Mm -hmm. It's like, you would come to me and say, Christopher, I want some feedback from you. How do you think this is going? Like I should be initiating that because then that takes the threat of it out of, you know, it's not like you're coming to me and I'm immediately on defense, fight, flight, or freeze, right? Yeah. <clears throat> I'm coming to you and I'm asking for you to give me feedback. So Andy, I'd love to, some feedback on how do you think I'm showing up in the talent development community and blah, blah, blah. And then I would 
I would be open to what you're going to provide because I'm coming to you and asking for it. Yep. Yeah. I, I really so, like that approach. Right. And I talk about that in my book and the the career own your career program I run. Uh, I always encourage people to think about, okay, what is it that you're trying to achieve, you know, setting your vision and your goals and then what do you need feedback on? Because that is where we grow the most. And, and I teach this and I'm still someone who is afraid of feedback sometimes, mm-hmm. I'll be honest, right? It's hard because it means, you know, we're not perfect, which is crazy, but apparently none of us are and we can <laughs> always, right? We can always, always improve. And I usually learn and grow the most through feedback. So I often encourage people like, hey, think about what it is you really want to achieve. And can you go to your manager or a trusted mentor and say, this is what I'm trying to improve you know, do you have any feedback for me or can you give me feedback on this so that I can get better with this? And oftentimes managers might be holding something back in that because they don't know That's how right. to have or, have or start that conversation. Right? Or it's, yeah, most most of us are conflict adverse, I think, mm-hmm. in general. So yeah, if a manager has feedback for an employee, sometimes they don't give it because they're just scared that that's going to, that person's going to leave or that person's going to get upset Right. If I'm the employee coming to my manager asking for it, that just opens the door for that manager to actually provide me with the feedback that they wanted to give and also provide guidance for what I need to do to get where I'm going. Because I, I, I honestly believe, you know, 98% of people in this workforce want to show up and do a good job, but they don't, mm-hmm. you know, want to show up and you know, go, I'm going to go and be mediocre today, or, you know, I can't wait to go in and screw up, you know, right. so from that it's intent versus impact. So sometimes I have to look at what, what's my intention Mm -hmm. and what's the impact I'm having with that intention. And sometimes my intention has a different, my actual behavior and in, in my intention actually has a different impact than I really wanted to have. And I need someone to help shore that up for me sometimes. So when I'm going to ask for feedback, it's really in service of is my intention being delivered and having the impact I wanted to have or is there something else I could be doing differently that would allow me to have more of the impact that I hoped the intention would? Yeah. And I think that opens up more conversations, like career conversations about where you could be going, right? So I often think, or I, I know because I hear this from so many people in talent development, that those career yeah. conversations aren't happening. Managers want to support their people, but they don't know what they want or where they want to go, right? And if you're willing to initiate that conversation and say, hey, I'm trying to grow in this area. Do you have any feedback? Do you have any advice for me? Coaching that gives something, you know, manager something to, to work with versus they have no idea. So they're just avoiding the conversation. That's right. And it'd be interesting to see, if, you know, more and more people do that, where that leads to. So my question on that would be, hey, like I totally get and understand this concept of continuous feedback, ongoing conversations, move away from the let's have this conversation once a year and you hit me with some feedback from something I did six months ago that I can't even remember, right? We all hate that, right? right? Yeah. How do we implement this in a culture, right? You you come into a new company and they still have a traditional talent review. Like how do you start to move managers and employees more towards that, you know, continuous conversation? (laughs) It's a big shift. Yeah. Well, what what gets measured gets done. Hmm. And so holding people accountable. We actually launched People Leader Accountabilities in January of this year. And the three accountabilities we ask of all people leaders in our organization is to create inclusion, develop talent, and empower teams. And if you're doing that, and that's been a goal that's been populated for you as a people leader in your what goals for the year. 
So if you manage other people in my organization, that's automatically populated. And there are specific things that you need to be doing to create inclusion. Creating inclusion means that I need to have an upward feedback debrief session with my team. So if once a year we do an annual 180 for managers and we say, we want you to give your manager feedback and then they get that feedback and then they should be going back out to their team saying, hey, I heard you. I, I got the input and I would also like you to help build the plan with me to help us, you know, the success of this team is 100% the manager and 100% the team. So it's 200%. So you can't do it with either or. So that's one of the things for create inclusion for developed talent. That means every manager needs to have a what and a how goal for all of their employees and really help to drive that. And then to, you know, help create, you know, and empower teams. It's really about looking at what is the team need? What are the the barriers that are getting the way to execute and, and have speed and execution? And what are the things that we need to really be thinking through to make sure that the team feels like they're supported and, and getting the things that they need to be successful? I like that those things are in there and they're actually held accountable, right? And measured by that, creating inclusion, developing talent, and empowering teams because you know we're hearing we're seeing the studies and the data to show that you know basically the the number one thing that people want on average is development they want to know how that's am right. i going to develop and grow in my career that's right and it's great that if an organization provides a lot of development opportunities like whether it's a linkedin learning or udemy or online classes or whatever it is right it's that's always awesome but they need coaching and guidance from their manager as well that's and right. I often think about, you know, managers, hey, they want to support their people, but they have all these other demands. And if the incentives are on getting their job done and not on coaching and guiding their people, then where are they going to spend their time, right? They're going to go where the incentives are. So they need to be held accountable That's in right. many cases towards coaching and developing talent. And if some are naturally going to go and do that, right, because they're naturally great leaders, others Correct. may need a little more incentive there. Yeah. And I think that we've, you know, traditionally Gilead has, we've done a, for all the things we're doing well, we also have opportunities for improvement. So in the past, a lot of people would be given a people manager, people leader role as a title, and we'd give them one person to manage. And then so they could get promoted to a manager mm. versus actually looking at what's the, what are the spans of control and the layers and what should it be three or four five direct reports so that you can actually become a really good people leader and manager with one person. That may not be the case because typically what we would do is we'd give you one person, but you'd keep all of your SME expertise and you'd still be mm -hmm. asked to do all the things you were doing before to produce right. and manage people. Yeah. So it became, you know, this thing where it's like, it's just, that's like, side yeah. job, like managing people right. is my side job. I still am expected to do Versus all this Versus becoming work. a manager with say seven direct reports and being That's expected right. to spend most of your time. Most of your time should be coaching and developing your team. Yeah. Right. And letting them get things done. You're not micromanaging, right. right? You're delegating, you're That's helping right. them. And then that is your job, which would be amazing for, for so many people. Yeah. You know, probably this is a good tie-in to this concept of prioritizing potential over performance. And why I think this is really interesting, you touched on it a little bit earlier, is that I talked to so many people who are building leadership development programs, new manager programs, hypo programs. It seems like every company is, is still investing in this in some way, whether they have money to hire people from outside or they're just kind of building it you know, from the ground up inside. Lots of companies are investing this. They've realized 
the opportunity to not only develop leaders to become better managers and better leaders, but to retain and develop that high potential talent. The challenge, of course, is how do you identify the right people and not just reward past performance, but look for Mm -hmm. people who have potential for the future and especially including people from traditionally marginalized or underrepresented groups, right? So how do you think about this and developing more for potential and not just performance? Um, It's interesting in that we also have to think, I think we have to rethink what we mean when we say development as well, Mm. because a lot of people equate development for a promotion and they get those two, they're like wires crossed And development is not always about getting promoted or getting to the next level. It's about developing you for the capabilities of the future roles that are going to be there. So that's about investing in you and also helping you see that you can, you have a lot of things you can do within this organization, within any organization. So getting back to your question, though, I think development is all about when you're building a development program or you're building something to help empower your talent that you have, you then need to get as many stakeholders that have a different perspective, a diverse perspective, an inclusive perspective. You can't be inclusive if you don't have diverse perspectives. Hmm. And so it's critical to ask questions and get input and make sure that you've thought it all through. I'll give you a a brief example. And this, this is a conference that I'm, so I'm on an advisory board for uh, a lesbians who tech and they actually have a conference in San Francisco every year in person last year and the year before. Um, so back in person, it'll be the 10th year this coming year. And when we did it last year, you know, they started to ask the team, the production team and the producing folks were asking several of us for feedback and input on how we could improve or do it better. And one of the things that I noticed was they were doing it outside and on the sidewalks, anybody who had a wheelchair or was like struggling with, you know, m- movement or mobility mm-hmm. was really difficult because they didn't have any kind of ramps for them to get down on to from the sidewalk to the to the actual road. And so they'd never heard that feedback before. And I was I actually saw it happening during the conference and saw people struggling that were in some wheelchairs. And so gave that input and feedback, right? But if I hadn't seen that or I hadn't said anything, other people might have noticed, but it didn't get put in because Mm. maybe somebody else didn't witness it happening. So having that perspective and getting different inputs from a lot of different stakeholders and constituent groups is critical when you're developing any kind of leadership development program, because I think it just makes you get there better, makes you consider all the potential perspectives and the things that people where they may struggle or need need assistance. So when we're talking about developing more for performance or, or identifying more for potential, we're talking about identifying more for potential and talking about making talent programs more inclusive. Part of that is going out and getting lots of different perspectives and hearing from different people on what the potential is and you know what the needs might be and who has a lot of potential to be more successful in the future if you just you know talk to the right people. That's right. And that could be, you know, by holding, you know, roundtable discussions with employee resource group members or leadership 
members who are part of that group. It may be going to different types of business leaders in the company that see things from a different vantage point. If you went and asked somebody in our research and development organization, they're probably going to be very different than what we would say someone in our commercial organization would give us input about uh, because commercial is trying to, you know, get out with, you know, patients and direct contact with doctor's offices and healthcare organizations and research and development are dealing with a lot of, you know, clinical trials and things that they're trying to deal with. So they have different vantage points and different views on what's important, what's critical. So making sure that you're having those, those conversations with each of those sort of functional areas that makes a difference and and then being able to, you know, stitch the seams, if you will. Yeah. You mentioned you were on the board for this Lesbians in Tech conference. Uh, We are releasing this podcast episode in June of 2023, which is also Pride Month. You, of course, mentioned being gay and member of the LGBTQ community. Uh, I recognize that things have changed and improved a ton, thankfully, since, you know, the 1990s when you, you started talking about being in college and what the world was like then. Yeah. Doesn't mean that we don't still have, uh, you know, places to go, room to improve. What do you want people to know about LGBTQ and pride in 2023 as we go into Pride Month? So I will say my trans brothers and sisters and gender non-conforming, non-binary folks out there listening, they're having a really hard struggle right now. There's a lot of things happening in different states and laws and bills being touted, and it's a real challenge. And I think one of the things you have to remember is pride came out of a, you know, it was rebellious. It was a riot. Hmm. And now it's like this big parade and there's corporations. It's a very corporate celebration now, right? Yeah. And, but then you see corporations who like a couple of examples who had very visible stances recently, I won't name the names of the companies, but then they back down because of the, 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 feedback that they have gotten from certain groups. Mm. And so, yeah, they're in the pride parade saying that they're all for it. And then they get a little negative feedback and they, they're not there anymore. So it's like, Mm. have pride parades become too corporate? Do we need to get back to let's making sure that this is about a movement and about rights. And it's about what we need to be doing to further make sure equity is in place and justice is in place. So yeah. Interesting that we need to think about, hey, what is it all really about? And are we still making progress in the right direction? I can tell you, I have been, you've probably seen way more than me, right? But I have been to the Pride Parade in San Francisco and it was not very corporate, but I have been to the Pride Parade multiple times here in my city of Orlando. And I would say that while it is a great celebration, it did strike me as very corporate. Every big company, especially Disney and JetBlue, who have big representation here in Orlando are are represented in the parade, which is great to see. They're saying, hey, look, we stand with the LGBT community. But as we asked when we were going through the social justice movement in 2020 with Black Lives Matter and everything else, Mm -hmm. it's it's one thing to say it on social media, but are you really doing things? What are you doing to advance the cause and create more equality? Yeah. And a lot of things that happened since George Floyd's murder you know, companies came out with some really bold statements of, you know, they talked the talk. But if you go back and ask now what it's like, they're not walking the walk. And so it's really about if you're going to say you are for something, then when it gets difficult or hard, you can't pull out. You've got to really stick to it and really think through 
the impact, again, intention versus impact. Your intention was to be as inclusive as possible. Your intention was to do something really well. The impact is you're actually, you're backing off when things get hard. And the impact of that is then it just gives other people, other companies an excuse to do the same thing. So related to this, and we only have a, a couple of minutes left here. I know you do a whole presentation on this idea of what you call ballot box to boardroom and how political mm-hmm. do we get at work. But you know, there's a lot of political things and controversial things going on out there. You mentioned, of course, you know, non-binary and people who choose not to identify with potential gender and states passing certain legislation. Obviously, yeah. There's been, you know, tons of controversy and news around the Supreme Court decision around abortion and many mm-hmm. other things that many companies are choosing to get involved with, many others choosing to, to stay out of. That's right. For people who work in L&D who may or may not have strong opinions, but working with lots of people in strong opinions yeah. on some of these things, what's sort of like the quick summary of like, how do you think about whether to speak up or get involved in these things or whether to just kind of step back and, and try to keep things politically correct, I guess, as they say? It's difficult. And I think each company has to shore it up to their mission and what they stand for. What are their core values? What are their their leadership commitments? What are the things that they say are important to them? And then they have to make those decisions. So for when Roe v. Wade was overturned, for example, my company came out that same day with policies that said, we're expanding benefits. If you need to travel to get a procedure taken care of in another state because you can't get it in the state that you live in, we will cover that. We will make sure that you can get access to that because one of our you know, tenants of why we exist is health equity. So if, you know, for women, if you don't have health equity where you live, we're going to provide that for you because that's what we stand for. And what we do is to create a healthier world for all people. So we could shore that one up to our our mission and vision in an easy way. I think where companies, again, talk the talk, but haven't walked the walk, that's where it gets, it gets dicey. And if you look at the data, I4CP did some, some research and some studies they saw some data points that were interesting. A combined 29% of people polled said that their organizations have dusted off their code of conduct policies and are actually updating them and discussing doing that based on the various crises of 2020 and 2021. And 49% surveyed stated that political debates were actually happening among coworkers. And so it's happening. It's It's here. And companies are being seen as like the leaders of making stuff in statements that wasn't always like that, you know, and it's really difficult. So balancing that and making sure that those political discussions or decision points are happening inside of the context of what is your culture? What do you stand for? What are your values? Who are you at the end of the day? And are you going to walk the walk versus just talk the talk? Yeah. And I think you have to look at your own personal values and what you stand for, what you care about, and the values of the people around you and recognize that you may work with people who are very different and get to decide if you want to take a stand and speak up about things, or maybe, you know, you want to just kind of keep quiet because you don't want to start a fight on it. But even if you are going to take a stand, you have to recognize that other people may have different views from you and that your views are your own, right? And hopefully they align with your company, but they may not. And be willing to have discourse versus I'm right, you're wrong. And that's the end of the conversation. Yeah. If you're, if you're really trying to be inclusive, you can hear other sides of the situation. You may still walk away with your own point of view, but you're willing to hear other points of view and, and consider other possibilities. 
that doesn't mean that changes my mind. It just means I'm open to, to listening and being able to see or empathize with why you have your, your view. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've got to wrap this up, Christopher. This has been just really insightful and inspiring as always. You do so much great work in this world of talent management and then all these peripheral things, DEI, everything else. I know there's so much more we could talk about with all this stuff. So I look forward to talking with you more in the future. I know that you are a member of our talent development think tank community, and we'll probably set up a call for you to lead on talent management in the future, because that's a question that comes up a lot. And one we don't discuss as much as maybe some other topics around talent development. So I'm looking forward to that. And of course, speaking more in the future, I know if anybody wants to reach out to you, they can probably go through LinkedIn or if there's anything else you recommend. Absolutely. LinkedIn, if you want to connect And um, if you like fashion, flowers, or fashion, you can find me on Instagram at at superman20117. Oh, yeah, that's right. Christopher has a great sense of fashion, always showing up, looking uh, unique and fashionable, as you did at the Talent Development Think Tank Conference when I got to see you last in February of this year. And hopefully there'll be more of those in the future. Uh, Well, thanks again for being here. And I look forward to talking with you more soon. Thank you, Andy. All right, that will do it for my interview with Christopher McCormick, who is a Senior Director of Talent Development and Inclusion at Gilead Sciences. And wow, I have spoken with, I don't know, over 300 people on this podcast so far, at least, you know, a couple hundred, quite a few. And I've met a lot of really passionate people in talent development. I don't know if I've met or interviewed anybody who was so connected to the mission and purpose of the company they worked for, which is always really cool to hear, cool to see. Christopher has become a good friend since I first interviewed him back in 2018 when I got this podcast started. As I mentioned in the introduction, he was episode number nine when I first started this up, and I didn't know, would anybody even come on to talk with me on this podcast? If I reached out to HR or talent development leaders would they be willing to sit down with a microphone and record a conversation about the work they've been doing in talent development? And after 400 episodes of this show, I can confidently say that the answer is yes. People are definitely willing to sit down and talk about the work they've been doing in talent development, which has been great for me and really great for you to hear what people are working on, what people are doing, what people are passionate about, what they're struggling with. And we're going to keep going and having these conversations. And it was really cool to have Christopher back on after interviewing him in back in 2018 for episode nine, and now in 2023, five years later. As I mentioned, we've become good friends, and he joined the Talent Development Think Tank membership community after we launched it, and has been a member for the last couple of years in there. He also came to our conference in February, and I know a lot of people really enjoyed meeting him because he has such great experience. He's won multiple awards. We, we didn't even address that, but I feel like Every month he texts me with, with a, hey, I want another award, like check this out. And, and not in like a bragging way, just like, hey, this is really cool. You know, we like, I think it's really important to celebrate our own wins, especially when we're recognized for doing great work. And Christopher's been recognized multiple times for doing great work in the organizations that he is working in. So make sure you go follow Christopher on LinkedIn and connect with me and follow me on LinkedIn. If you haven't done that already, I'm sharing a lot of great content on a regular basis. Just really feeling like I'm getting into my stride lately on teaching and inspiring people, especially around this idea of owning your career in talent development or anywhere in the organization or the work that you do. And I have been speaking in more and more companies and just on this mission to teach and inspire more people to own their careers, as well as connect people in the talent development community to help them 
learn and grow and support each other. And so if you're interested in either of those things, if you work in talent development and you don't yet belong to the talent development think tank community, I know many of you out there have been thinking about it. You tell me like, oh, I've looked at the website. I just haven't signed up yet. Now's the time to come do it. We've got so many great calls coming up. I've got Christopher booked for a community call. We do calls every Wednesday at noon Eastern time, 9 a.m. Pacific. You don't have to be on all the calls. Nobody makes all of them, right? But if you make one or two a month, you're going to get tons of value. We record them. We've got a huge library of content from the last three years of calls and some more great calls coming up. And the value really is in the interactions, the connections, the relationships, just so many great things going on. And as I mentioned, Christopher's been a member of that group for a couple of years now. He is also speaking in the group coming up soon. So if you are not yet a member, come check us out. Our website is talentdevelopmentthinktank.com. When you go there, just click on community. And when you sign up, you can use the discount code podcast for 10% off uh, for being a podcast listener. So go ahead and uh, go there and take advantage of that. And then I mentioned also that I'm on a mission to teach and inspire more people to take ownership of their careers, which I think it goes in hand in hand with some of the things we talked about today. And if you're looking for someone to inspire people in your organizations, in your organization to do that, reach out to me, Andy at andystorch.com and let's talk and see if maybe it is a fit. All right, thank you again for listening. Stay tuned, next episode will be our bonus Q&A conversation with Christopher McCormick, where I'll ask him about his biggest accomplishment in his career, his biggest failure, trends he's following, and some career advice for you as well. So check that out. Stay tuned. Thanks again for listening. I will talk to you next time.